0: Hey everyone and welcome to a new episode of The Convergence Podcast. This is going to be episode 44 with senior concept artist at Atom Hawk, Jordan Tuff. Jordan spoke about his experiences at FZD School of Design, as well as the importance of networking with industry professionals. We also discussed the importance of taking inspiration from the local cultures around you to create art that really stands out. He further shared his experiences as a senior artist and what it takes to get to that level This episode is packed with a lot of great information, so I hope you stick around till the end of the episode. So without further ado, let's get started.
1: Usually the start of the podcast, even before things get started, that's where, you know, you get all the smaller talk out of the way, but sometimes you find yourself getting to, you know, such a flowing conversation already.
0: Yeah. I've noticed that quite a few times, like you said, the conversation just begins with such an interesting note that you don't want to miss out on any part of it, especially because I feel from an audience or a listener's perspective, the more natural the conversation is, I feel the more they enjoy it. It doesn't have to be necessarily like a interview where one person is asking all the questions. That natural exactly. feels better.
1: I mean, that was my philosophy when I was also still doing podcasts too. I wanted to almost feel like there people are in the same room mm. like just hearing us talk because uh, i don't know if you watch joe rogan's podcast or, uh, i do yeah but one of the most common uh comments that you'll get is like oh it just feels like i'm sitting in the same room listening to you know an insightful conversation and people are even talking about oh man it'll be so cool if you guys started doing like vr because then it'll really feel like we're mm. part of that table you know so that's how I wanted to approach the podcast because sometimes podcasts do end up feeling like too much of an interview. You ask one question, you get one answer back and then it just goes like that, you know. But to me, sometimes when I'm having conversation with friends uh, and maybe you felt this way too, it's like you had such a deep and meaningful conversation with friends. And then at the end of it, you're like, man, if we actually recorded that, I think some people could really benefit from this. So that's what actually got me to wanting to start a podcast in the first place. So I'm wondering if it's the case for you too as well, Sid.
0: I think, and I want to get back to your podcast as well, like the things that you've learned from that experience. For me, the reason to start the podcast was because we had had been working from home for like close to a year at that point, or maybe seven, eight months. So sometime around December last year, I felt like I wanted to be able to create a channel for myself to have these conversations with artists from all over the world basically because I missed that experience of talking to fellow artists in the studio and oh, yeah. so I created the podcast in a way to basically supersede that and yeah it's been quite fun like just interacting with people from across the world across mm-hmm. different industries because I'm not limiting the podcast to only concept art. it's architects concept oh, right. artists designers music mm. so it's like covering a lot of variety of fields so it's been quite fun
1: yeah man I think sometimes the issue, at least with people that are getting into art, is that they tend to just restrict themselves to listening to artists to learn something. But given the nature of what we do, I feel like to only limit yourself to just artists is extremely limiting. Mm -hmm. Just because what we do as art, art is an imitation of life, right? When you actually hear the stories of other people that alone can be an inspiration you might not learn a technique let's just say if you talk to a musician because I think there's not as much direct applicable techniques from music to art but at the same time maybe even hearing their stories about how they got into the journey you know that alone can be an inspiration for a film That their story or even the philosophies between uh different fields like for example one of the things that I really enjoy doing is also Brazilian jiu-jitsu so thanks Joe Rogan once again (laughs) but that's one of the things that I realized that even though that's probably on the far end of a spectrum you know in terms of um I guess how similar those two fields are but however I actually realized that there's a lot more in common than I thought in terms of one of the things that I've learned in jiu-jitsu is that the most important thing is to start with the fundamentals first so do you see where I'm getting with this
0: absolutely and I guess another element would be the aspect of discipline as well because jiu-jitsu requires that amount of discipline to be able to train yourself regularly and that directly parallels art as well because you can't leave it for a while because you will get rusty. And it's something that you for need sure. to
1: keep honing. I think what's interesting is that, at least with jujitsu, is that it's so visceral, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when you are in that situation, you know, you are basically sparring with another person and you are almost simulating a situation where it feels like you're in a survival mode because when you're about to get choked out, that's <laughs> something you immediately feel, you know? Um, so the difference with that and art of course is I think the struggles that we face in art it doesn't get to that point mm-hmm. I, I would hope it doesn't you know but at least when we reach a certain point of failure in art you know I feel like that a lot of the time feels like a mental thing rather than a physical thing whereas when it comes to something so physical you really have to i think dig something really deep out of you in order to actually overcome that so i think sometimes even just by learning to overcome and even go through physical discipline you even learn how to overcome some of that even in your art so i feel like there's even value for artists to do something outside of art and that ties in really nicely like with the advice that we get is you know go out exercise you know don't just do art the whole day because yeah. while well, you can do it for a short period of time After a while, you're going to just suffer lots of health conditions. And I've been lucky that um, throughout most of my art career so far, the only time that I've gotten really bad injuries that I couldn't draw was when I actually used a Cintiq.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. Yeah,
1: but other than that, I've been okay.
0: (laughs) So was it like a carpal tunnel kind of a situation on your wrist?
1: Kind of, dude. Like to me, I think it's just the positioning. Like Mm -hmm. with the Cintiq, you know, you got to kind of lean a little bit forward. And then you also have to elevate yourself a little bit more. But also on top of that, like the keyboard access for me, you know, I like having it nice in front of me and then having just my hand resting against the table while I reach for the hotkeys. But with the Cintiq, I had to have the keyboard right beneath me. So it was kind of strange just almost bending it like this. So it was like further down and I had to crook my wrist a little bit more. And I think because of that, my wrist really started hurting
0: Yeah, I guess it's it's one of those situations where unless you're used to using a Cintiq from the very beginning of your art journey, so to speak, it can get hard to adapt because our muscle memory trains us to use maybe like the Intuos in a certain manner and we get used to certain positionings.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, people like to use the Cintiq because it emulates traditional media, right? But of course, with traditional media, you don't have undo button, you don't have all those hotkeys to rely on. So you have that added thing of just having to worry about that.
0: So I just wanted to get back to your podcast as well. So your podcast was called the Drawing mm-hmm. Table Podcast, and you were yes. hosting it along with Ken. Yes. What, what was the reason for you guys to Started Was there some initial conversation that you had that you wanted to do it together with a co-host and live stream them? What was the discussion like?
1: Well, I think uh, I briefly touched upon that earlier where I said that we just had a lot of like meaningful conversations that we felt like, man, if we actually shared these conversations, you know, I think a lot of people can benefit from it. And Ken and I have, gone a long way back even before the podcast we've actually collaborated together on a lot of things so even before that uh you know one of the things that we did was founding an art community back in jakarta you know Mm. for other artists to just gather together professionals beginners you know aspiring artists alike just to come together get to know each other and make connections in the industry because coming from a developing country um you, you probably feel the same way about Uh, your industry too um, back in your home is that it's so small Mm -hmm. that even wanting to reach out to learn from someone it's so difficult
0: you almost don't know whether there are other individuals working on the same craft as you right until you become part of that community exactly even realizing
1: that concept art existed in indonesia is like you know funnily enough i actually only learned about concept art like less than a year before I enrolled for FZD, but maybe we can touch upon that later. But I think just uh, realizing that there's so many people even in Indonesia and that were in similar positions or are in similar positions to us where we didn't know much about the industry, but we feel like we have that potential and also the expertise to be able to share it with someone and being in that special position of having gone to FZD getting into the industry it almost felt like you know why don't we give it a go why don't we actually just share this out there even if not too many listen if we can make that small difference in a few people's lives to help them discover the same journey that we are currently going through you know i think that's like the reward in itself and enough of a motivation just to give it a shot
0: yeah that's that's quite a true thing you don't set out to create like some huge podcasting empire or anything like that it's just to Mm -hmm. have these fun conversations and if anyone gets benefit from that it's a great addition to that exactly i mean what were your takeaways as a host talking to so many artists and then of course i'm not sure why you guys ended up stopping it i'm sure you had other things take over over time but in the recordings that you did make what were your takeaways from that
1: um, so why we stopped though is because uh ken had different priorities in life mm-hmm. so at that time you know uh he was expecting a kid oh okay so you know um that was a really big change and uh, as as difficult as it was for us to end the podcast uh, ultimately you know family comes first there's some things that are just more important than this so yeah, we just decided to uh, end it there. I thought about continuing it by myself, but I feel like it would go against the essence of the podcast itself, which is wanting to make it feel like it was a table at a cafe that you know just a few artists are just sitting together and mm-hmm. having a nice conversation, and if we and part of it was that dynamic with Ken and I as well. So I feel like without without Ken, it just wouldn't be the same podcast anymore. True. Um, But wait, what, what was the other part as well?
0: Yeah, the other question was more about what you as a host learned from these conversations. Ah, right.
1: Right, thank you for reminding me. And I think one of the things that I actually discovered is that how... I think, hmm, I'm not sure if reluctant is the best word, but how, yeah, let's go for that. How reluctant or even how shy some artists are about sharing their knowledge, even though you know that they're very accomplished artists in their own right, but they speak as if they come from a position of like, oh, you know what? I don't know that much. If I share something, you know, probably everyone else knows that. And that was really surprising to me because, you know, um, no one gets to that kind of level if they aren't as good as they say, or at least as good as their work show. But I think it's just that lack of confidence that was really surprising for me.
0: That's an interesting observation. Why do you think that is? Is that because as we develop our skills, we almost take it for granted that everybody else already knows those things? Or is it just that? Maybe artists tend to be a bit more introverted in nature.
1: I think it's that. Um, That cannot be neglected. But also on top of that, I think it's just the nature of a lot of artists or maybe even the nature of what we do where a lot of us are just constantly doubting ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know. I haven't met too many artists that just says, Oh, you know what? I've made it. My work's the best. You know, I feel like this is the pinnacle and I, there's no getting better from here, you know, whereas, you know, if we want to go back to the um, drawing similarities to uh, physical discipline, like fighters, you know, sometimes what kind of interests me about them, is just that kind of confidence they have in their skills. Whereas artists, we tend to doubt ourselves a lot. And I think, that is a double-edged sword in itself Mm -hmm. because it is that constant doubting and constant dissatisfaction of our works that makes us want to pursue something better than ourselves. Because the moment we say it's good enough, I think that's where a lot of us stagnate. So I think that also carries over to how they carry themselves in the podcast too. Yeah.
0: So that's
1: that's my thoughts.
0: That's a great analogy. I just taking forward that jujitsu conversation in Mm jujitsu, you can track your progress with the way you, you know, get the higher level belts and you know, you're improving as an artist. Is there a way to actually tangibly know when you've made a certain level up or a certain major progress progression in your career?
1: I think that's a difficult part, right? Because at least with um, art, there's no clear, progression for every artist whereas you know maybe with fighters let's just say the pinnacle of their career might be to become a champion in one of the weight classes in UFC for example but for artists it's not like everyone's goal for example is to make it into let's just say naughty dog for example maybe that would be a dream for someone but then for me who mostly does stylized art that's not something that really interests me Mm -hmm. even though I admire their work a lot and also at the same time, some people might not even want to be at a studio. I at least thought that I was going to be working in a studio for a long time. But one of the things that I've actually realized with my career is that I want to get into teaching. That's something that I've come to really enjoy. So I guess to answer your question, though, it's something that someone has to really just ask themselves, like, why am I doing all of this, you know, and from there, um, just seeing maybe even your bigger goal, like what is your end goal, You know, whether it's to create a graphic novel, to be uh, a freelance artist or to work at a certain studio. And from there, kind of just break it down into certain milestones, because um, I do think that will then give you that sense of progression. And of course, it's not as concrete. So it does leave it to some discretion of the person itself Mm -hmm. so let's just say if your bigger goal is to uh, yeah make it into naughty dog let's just continue with that maybe one of the first things that you'll need to learn as an aspiring artist who has absolutely no knowledge is to just learn the fundamentals right that's always a good place to start understand one point perspective two point perspective how to render objects things like that Basically, just making it as measurable as possible. Don't make it so vague that basically, well, you don't even know when you actually completed that goal. Mm -hmm. But then moving forward from that, maybe even before thinking about getting your first job, it's like, all right, I'd like to make a portfolio piece. And then this portfolio will consist of like maybe... For example, if you're so intimidated from doing full environments, maybe start off with some props, right? So just really breaking it down to just very measurable and tangible um, stages. And one of the things that I have hanging on my wall right now that I still do is just before tackling a larger personal project is to actually just break it down, Mm -hmm. like what components of the project I want to accomplish so as you can see here it says key art and then architecture breakouts and then prop designs and things like that and even giving myself a certain timeline on when I want to accomplish it by and so going back to even what you uh your what you do said is like you know I, I like scheduling things and even just uh, making sure that milestones to reach and I think that's one of the things that not too many artists do since they tend to be more spontaneous by nature, almost like whimsical, you know, that whole um, trope of an artist being like, well, I just work when I want, inspiration will come to me and things like that. Uh, But I do think it's really important to do these kinds of things. But yeah, after doing this for a portfolio, maybe thinking about your first job, maybe it's also photo real, um, but maybe it's not gonna be as big as Naughty Dog. But yeah, just gradually working your way up after breaking down from your bigger goals, pretty much.
0: Yeah, that aspect of slowly getting to that larger milestone I feel is almost a bit underrated these days, where you directly mm-hmm. want to become a part of Naughty Dog right from a yeah. student level portfolio, which is quite unrealistic because each year the studios themselves are raising their own bar. So yeah. what could have been considered Naughty Dog quality five years ago is absolutely not that today. Mm, yeah that's a good point uh, dramatically increasing all the time in in a situation like that how does one actually plan ahead I mean how do you know where when you've actually hit that mark Mm,
1: I think um, I think like I said just making sure that it's something that is measurable you know uh, where you don't say like oh I want to be good at art Where it's like, well, how do you know when you're good at art? Or it's like, oh, when I can draw like this guy. It's like, well, or like, oh, when I can do work as good as this studio. That's still very vague because you have to ask yourself, what does it actually mean to be as good as this guy? And yeah, that's when you once again break it down. Maybe look at the work of the studio you want to be at and look at your own and actually see, be very honest with yourself. What is my work lacking right now compared to this studio? Maybe you realize that, oh, to get into Naughty Dog, they actually use a lot of 3D and I don't use 3D at all. Maybe it's time to pick up some 3D, for example. Um, um And maybe it's also something to do with color and light. For example, your painting isn't so good. So maybe that's something you can work towards. But once again, I think um, rather than trying to take everything at once and overwhelming yourself. Just break it down into like, okay, 3D, then color and light and tackle those things one at a time. Mm -hmm. And make sure you have a certain deadline for those kinds of things as well. And making sure that it's something that is achievable on your part too. Because even if you have a set goal, if you let's just say, oh, you want to learn Blender and the whole photoreal workflow within like a month, you know, that might be a tall task for a lot of people. So I think it's just sometimes even daring to put something down and plan for something and maybe even realizing, oh, this is unrealistic. Hmm. Because some people, I think the issue is that how do I know what's a realistic timing? And for me, I think the answer just comes down to experience, is that you have to set down some timing where you realize that, oh, it's too short. Maybe the timing's a bit too long. And after a while, you get a good sense of your own speed. But you're never gonna know that if you don't even try to set it in the first place it's kind of like that structure will never be in place if you never even attempt it
0: yeah you gotta try out certain milestones for yourself first and then see are you able to regularly hit them or are you regularly missing them then you understand what your own pacing is exactly
1: so one advice that i usually like to give is think of a timeline that seems quite reasonable. Let's just say for, you know, I w- to do one piece, uh, let's say environment piece for four weeks, let's just say. And you're thinking that, okay, given that I can only work on it like four hours a day, uh, four weeks seems pretty reasonable. But instead of doing it four weeks, I recommend that you actually really lengthen that just because things get in the way, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have bad days, Sometimes you have other things that pop up. So maybe make it five weeks, six weeks. And it's far better for you to do that and then realize that, oh, it's too easy and shorten it rather than telling yourself, ah, four weeks, I can do two weeks. And then for you to realize that it's not enough time, you stress out, you panic and you end up rushing the piece you hate the piece, and then you come to the conclusion that, oh, planning isn't for me. Well, of course, it's just because you didn't set something so realistic. So it's better to work almost from a bigger scope and shrinking it down rather than giving yourself the tightest box or like tightest room to work with, then trying to expand from that. Because sometimes when you've had a bad experience with something, you're just going to come to faulty conclusions. So rather than Setting yourself up for failure in that sense, give yourself enough breathing room uh, to yeah, discover more about yourself without ending up hating the process, I think.
0: Oh, that's a brilliant piece of advice. I think I can totally see why you want to go deeper into teaching, because the, just the way you're elaborating across these points and these concepts, I think it's quite valuable. And it shows that it comes through experience. It's not something you come up with overnight.
1: Oh, I've had a lot of bad experience when it comes to that, man. Like I was that guy that basically said, oh, planning's not for me. I just do it whenever because it's going to restrict me too much, you know, my inspiration. But man, that was BS on my part, just because if you're waiting for yourself to feel a certain way for the stars to align in a certain way, you know, and for everything to just be perfect before you get started on something, that's never going to happen because, uh, You know, I'm sure you're very well aware of this by now, Sid, but, you know, it's very rare that things go according to our way. And most of the time we won't feel like it. Mm. And especially if we want to work as a professional, the point is that you have to deliver what you've promised no matter what, you know, unless you're like dying in bed or something like uh, that, and you have a debilitating illness, most of the time the client will not take your excuses So I think if we want to become a professional artist, we need to get used to this idea of, okay, telling a client when we'll finish something by, to give them a quote, to professionally deliver, to deliver, and also make sure that we have that discipline and the systems in place to to do all of that.
0: I think this will also be a good time to talk about your entire trajectory as an artist so far, because... Now you're obviously well-established. You're working professionally at a amazing studio at a senior position. But what was your actual journey to get to Atomhawk at this point and the various struggles you went through? So how far do you want me to go back? Like
1: back I think, to FZD or like just my first job?
0: I think let's talk about why you chose to go to FZD first and then we can get in from there. Right, right. Hmm. Ah, man. You know, funnily enough, going to FZD
1: was not a plan thing for me i think for quite a few people actually how about you, Sid? why when did you know about fzd and how long did it take you to actually enroll into fcd since um
0: then? so i i was studying architecture when i came to oh, know cool. about FZD. Nice. so yeah it was and that's a five-year program so somewhere maybe in the second year or the third year i came to know about the school and i'd been following the videos feng kept putting up mm-hmm. and i'd reached out to a couple of people through facebook who were alumni or yeah. students at that point, but it is only after I finished the course, which is two and a half years later is when I decided to go there.
1: Right. Right. So it's something that you've been, I guess, wanting for a certain, for quite a while, I guess, mm-hmm. before you made your decision to go there. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so for me, I wouldn't say it's necessary that much planning that went into it. So, how I actually found out about FCD was actually during a holiday where I went to the States uh, to, and when I went to the States in New York, there happened to be one of my friends uh, from high school. And to give you a little bit of context, this friend was one of those people where he and I and another guy would be at the back of the classroom pretty much not paying attention and just Mm -hmm. drawing in our notebooks so we were that group of people you know in the class and it had been a while since i've seen him Uh, so we were just catching up during that holiday and just uh, what we've been up to and at that time i was halfway through a university course Mm -hmm. and It was a university course that I was not particularly enjoying and neither was it what I expected. But to be fair, at that point in my life, I don't think I really knew knew what I wanted to do. All I knew is I wanted to do something with art, but I didn't know what exactly I wanted to be and neither did I have the drive to pursue anything pretty much. So me actually being in this university course was almost because my mom was telling me that, well, you know, it's it's been a while since high school, you know, you should probably learn something by now, or actually go to university and get a degree. So I was just quickly browsing through whatever was available uh, in Australia at the time. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go for a digital media course. So it was very broad just taught basic Photoshop, basic 3D, um, UI uh, user experience design and things like that. So not, it wasn't in depth at all. Uh, And my friend at that time, um, his name was Jason. So I was talking to Jason and he'd actually been attending another school uh, as well in in the States. And he was studying product design and he seemed to be doing well for itself. But of course, the topic of our third friend, our mutual friend, came along, Joel. And we are wondering how he was doing. Oh, I was wondering how he was doing. And Jason told me that, oh, you know what? Um, he's actually improving a lot in art. He's act- uh, Because back then in high school, I think he didn't really have as much motivation as well to pursue something. But for once in his life, it seemed like he was focused on something, mm-hmm. you know. And I was curious, of course, uh, uh, to see what he's been up to. And Jason just showed me some of the works that Joel had been doing. And of course, I was like, "Wow! And this looks great." You know, what what school was he attending? And as it turns out, he was attending FZD.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And okay.
1: Yeah. So at that moment, I had this thought in my mind: Do I actually continue? with the rest of my university course, spend one and a half years more of my life doing something that really wasn't getting me anywhere or actually making that leap going to FCD. And long story short, um, I decided to go to FZD and I'm very grateful that my parents were able to afford that education for me. Um, because yeah, I, at that time I just didn't have anything um, or any savings to afford it at all. So yeah, that's how I got into FCD in the first
0: place. So when you actually got to F C D, were you at all prepared for the amount of workload that was going to come?
1: Ah, dude. Like I said, I barely did any research. I was I only started looking at even the FCD school videos like h- half a year before the term started. Mm-hmm. And even during the interview too, I remember I think it was Jill. I don't know if she was still around when you were there. Probably not right but in any case she was asking me like who are your favorite concept artists you know (laughs) and my answer was you know oh my top three favorite concept artists were um fang um second i think it'll have to be fang is fang Zhu as well (laughs) and she was also asking me well what about like sid me you know and things i was like i was like who Sid? who (laughs) (laughs) so i had absolutely no clue at all about concept art at that time so I knew nothing about even the workload for FCD as well. I knew maybe a little bit from Jason and hearing from Joel, um, but I don't think it really prepared me at all. So I was in for a surprise and a shock for sure.
0: But I guess it worked out quite, quite well for you because you obviously finished FZD with a very, very high amount of quality in your work. And then from there, of course, taking it forward in your own own way. Um, I wanted to talk about the need to go to schools for art these Mm -hmm. days because when you went was a couple of years back it's been a couple of years since I went as well Mm -hmm. but now there's so much more information available online so many courses so many online platforms to learn from is there even a need to go to schools to learn concept art anymore? I think there can be an advantage for sure.
1: And I think one of the big things is the camaraderie that you build between your fellow batchmates. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that an online course can't replace. So I think the better question is that how how much can you actually afford for art education? Because if you're choosing to go the online route, that's going to be much cheaper. And there's great courses out there now. Brainstorm, you know, CGMA, Learn Squared, um, and Focal Point now is also online too. Mm-hmm. So, if you can uh, afford to, you know, pay for the travel and all of the accommodation, then yeah, definitely just take online. However, if you can, I would say it's worthwhile thinking about it because some of the people that I still regularly keep in touch with and still some of my good friends are my batch mates from FCD. So, um, you know, Silva, for example, yeah. you know, you talked to him a while back. So he's one of my really good friends for FCD. You know, Marco, for example, Greg, Greg Westfall. So th- those are some of the people that I regularly keep in touch with now. And yeah, it's really invaluable just to have Uh, some good friends in high places as well you know and of course just people that you can still share some of those experiences with um, and get some advice from feedback from I think that's all just something that it's not to say you can't get from online courses but it's different when you get to spend that much time together and go through a lot of Suffering together.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that that shared experience definitely creates an additional level of bonding, which you may not get through an online course. I think quite often I see people trying to chase the tag of a self-taught artist and hence avoids going to a school. But I think if if you know why you're choosing to study by yourself and you have a good valid reason for it, then I think it's perfectly fine. But like you said that camaraderie yeah. and building connections with your alumni peer network itself I think that's a very powerful thing as well For
1: sure do you still keep in touch with some of your friends from FCD
0: I do I do and I mean that's quite how we are talking as well because there is that common connection that we share and with Joao as well so that's also a great thing like you said
1: yeah for sure dude I feel like when I meet another FCD guy it doesn't matter which batch we're in you know um, you know, we just once again assume that we've gone through a similar experience, and that's something we can already just bond over, you know. So, yeah, th- it's just these kinds of things that n- online courses I think it's hard to emulate.
0: While you were at FZD and when you graduated, did you feel like, apart from the art side of things, which obviously develops quite a bit? Were you also able to develop your networking skills and your ability to communicate with professionals and studios and things along those lines? At school? At school or just through that process of developing as an artist?
1: Oh, damn. I think it was definitely more so outside of school. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the... I think one of the things that really helped me out was actually my time in Indonesia because it is a developing country there's not as many opportunities and while a lot of people may see that as a disadvantage i saw that as an opp- opportunity for myself and you know going back to ken i think he was like minded about that and as a result i think we we decided to fill in some of those needs and gaps based off of what we thought was lacking Oh, there's not too many uh, art communities out there that help people to network. Boom, we're gonna create our own. You know, Uh, there's not too many good um, concept art resources out there. Ah, we decided to create an art book. You know, where we share our knowledge of concept art, Um, and we even went to some uh, to a universe, not university. It was a school. To, uh, to their open house to even talk about oh what the difference between concept art and illustration is nice. and we even uh, contacted one of our friends who was a local artist in a uh, local game studio to host a workshop as well. So I think through those initiatives I had to learn along the way how to network and put myself out there. Mm because there weren't so many clear pathways. And sometimes I think I just really had to put myself out there, even though I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. And even that fear of like, yeah, what if things don't work out? Or like, what if no one even wants to attend this or even cares enough about this? Um, and I think I just had to develop those skills along the way to just um, yeah, bring a community together and to also learn to share the knowledge that I had along the way too.
0: I like that initiative ability that you have just to create these new opportunities and finding new ways to engage with the community because developing art is just one aspect of the career as a professional artist because there is also this need to have communications, especially as you get more senior in the roles that you're performing. It's less, sure. it's less and less about just the art, but also about mentoring your team, talking to professionals, talking to clients. And that's something that's not really taught as such.
1: Exactly. So uh, I think that's the difficult part, you know, is that I think a lot of artists, I think, get into art because they found it as an escape. Mm-hmm. Their little world that they could create, you know, to get away maybe from uh, some of, you know, some difficult aspects of socializing, you know, or life in general. So I think for some people, they don't necessarily think that that is something that is crucial because, well, it's reasonable to think that, well, to be a good artist, you just need to do good art. And yes, mm-hmm. for sure. But I feel like it closes so many opportunities, or at least it prevents you from making the most out of the opportunities that you have if you keep to yourself and I've learned along the way and I think yeah maybe does. It, it does come from the fact that you know I come from a country that had not as many opportunities that I felt like Anytime I went to an event, whether it's like an art conference, Comic-Con, things like that, I would be that guy that's going around to all of the, t- well, maybe not literally all, but most of the tables in the artist's corner. I'd be talking to them. Hey, you know, uh, um, what are you selling over here? You know, it's like, oh, that's really cool. What's your inspiration behind this piece? Or maybe if I'm at an art event, I'd be talking to anyone. I, You know, it doesn't matter to me if it's like, A big shot from the studio, if it's someone that I've never met before, to me, I just find it so interesting to be able to meet with other people and hear about their experiences as well. And sometimes even the quiet guy in the corner could turn out to be an absolute beast at art as well. It's just that they're not necessarily putting themselves out there too. And I've just realized that how many doors have just opened up from me putting myself out there risking that you know potential of having an awkward conversation or maybe like you know the conversation not working out so well and i've just surprised myself how most of the time you know people have just been so friendly and open and readily uh, readily available to share things as well
0: yeah i think for the most part most people in this industry are quite friendly and easy to approach. And maybe you might run into the odd person here and there who might not be that interested in having a conversation, but for the most part, yeah. most people are. Something I, I've at least found quite interesting in my experience is to mm-hmm. not limit myself to talk to my peers only, but try talking yeah. to juniors, try talking to seniors, even like much, much senior veterans in the industry. And that I think rounds up the kind of information base you create Mm -hmm. for yourself quite well
1: yeah is there something that you found in common
0: though between all of them regardless of their skill level i think what i found in the most prolific artists be it really junior or senior is that they draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of variety of things they don't limit Mm -hmm. their worldview just to concept art they think about other things they read they research Mm -hmm. they write stuff it's it's more about a holistic development of a artistic yeah. mind rather than just concept art
1: right yeah that's... seems like you're you know one of those people too you know the fact that you are actually hosting a podcast and you know you know the fact that we're still able to keep this conversation going and you asking some good questions well that at least shows to me that you know you're someone that goes beyond just art as well too and definitely I think it's it just... about other things
0: I guess luckily enough, because I studied architecture, it showed me that there is there are like multiple avenues of design. And then mm-hmm. going into concept art later on, which is what my true calling or my passion was, mm-hmm. allowed me to not limit myself like like I was right. mentioning earlier. But, but yeah, I mean, the podcast has just been a quite fun experience. You also have hosted. So you know that just having these conversations just transports you in a different mindset for a couple of hours where you're learning about a new person completely
1: yeah for sure dude
0: just talking a bit more about your art style itself you Mm -hmm. have a very very stylized outlook towards your art but then the lighting is extremely realistic in the way you tend to portray your work how did you come to this interesting mix of your work
1: well first of all thanks for kind words dude um but for me i would say that hmm, Well, at least for a stylized aspect, was just because I grew up with a lot of cartoons. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite things to watch when I was younger was just Tom and Jerry uh, cartoons, which I would just binge watch as a kid. And on top of that, you know, other things as well, Looney Tunes, things of that sort. So even from a young age, I think that was what I was inclined towards and not to mention anime and manga as well. Mm -hmm. Being a kid that grew up in Asia, that's what was popular over there. So that's where I think I got my love or stylization. However, I think in terms of the lighting, maybe it came a bit later. Uh, And I don't know exactly when, but at least what really attracts me is just the idea that I even though something could be stylized, I think what really immerses someone is when you capture the lighting and the atmosphere exactly right. It almost feels like you could step into that place mm-hmm. and feel, you know, how the uh, the weather is like, you know, how the temperature uh, of that place is and maybe even just the texture of all of the, of the floorboards beneath your feet and things like that and to me I want to be able to communicate all of that and I find that with some stylized art where it's purely cell shading it's harder for me to immerse myself in those kinds of situations so that's um that alongside influences from movies like how to train your dragon and you know um, movies of that kind I think that's what made me Want to push my lighting at least to be more believable.
0: Mm-hmm. In terms of a specific project, I, I mean, the Hippopura project that you had done, I wanted to just go a bit deeper into that specific one because it was a very interesting mix of drawing from local cultures and inspirations and then adding that fantasy twist into that project. When you're mm-hmm. executing a project of that kind where you have multiple pieces in mind, you got like a nice Layout design done there, along with props. How how much do you plan in advance when you're about to start a project like that?
1: Well, so this one was probably the most planned project I've done. Mm -hmm. So it was it's actually all here. Uh, So this was what Hippopura started off with. is just this little sheet of paper over here. And to me, my goal with Hippopura was to push my portfolio. I wanted to show off my world building abilities beyond just a singular piece of architecture beyond just one environment illustration. Uh, So I realized that, well, what does it, once again, setting clear goals, like what does it actually mean for me to show off my world building skills? So for me, I wanted to at least show that, okay, there's this one overarching place that I wanted to design. And within that scene, I wanted to show my ability to create prop breakouts and also I wanted to show the characters that would live in that scene as well so I wanted to do more initially but mm-hmm. you know I uh to be honest I kind of ran out of steam near the end so I ended up cutting out a few pieces so this is part of where things don't necessarily go according to plan you know um but I just uh, started off by laying out what I wanted to create. And also, uh, similar to the advice that I gave earlier, is just setting us amount of time for each asset. So for, um, for the room itself, the whole bubble room, I wanted to give myself about a month to do it. But as it turned out as well, <laughs> that wasn't enough time. So this was a prime example of a project where I planned something, but it was more in the idealistic side. I wanted to, but funnily enough, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I said it with like a timeline based off months. Like, Oh, I want to finish this project by uh, June, 2020. And I ended up finishing around like July. So I was still quite okay in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah. That's not too bad.
1: Yes. I think I can give myself a little (laughs) bit of a pass there. Um, But yeah, um, usually now though, I I definitely like to approach my projects this way. This was a big learning experience and I didn't always plan my projects this way. And also on top of that as well, I even focused on a few key skills that I wanted to display in my portfolio, Mm -hmm. which is like, just reading out what I wrote down, focus on Riot's style, chunkier stylized shapes, you know, epic feeling at scale and focus on how it can fit in the context of a game. Because uh, at that time, I wanted to apply to Riot and I wanted to show that, hey, I can actually do a little bit of thinking, you know, in terms of gameplay and things like that. So that's why I thought about the whole puzzle mechanic as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't just want to create a pretty piece. I wanted to create a little bit of function behind it as well. And yeah, also focusing on ideas, not rendering. Um, so just writing down those points by my, uh, for myself really just made me focus on the most important things. So rather than you know spending too much time on rendering, which wasn't important, I would just read this point and like, okay, no, this is not what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And uh, just having this written down, printed out and right above my computer to see every day it was almost like a guiding compass you know because the way that i like to see it i'm like kind of like a ship you know i'm just moving forward and without any guide at all which is i think a lot of artists so they tend to veer off course and maybe it's just by a little bit every day you know but before they know it they've gone so far off course that they're nowhere near reaching their deadline but at that time they've kind of lost steam they're it's like oh man almost I spent so too late
0: to turn back at a certain point
1: yeah of course, you can come back to it. But realistically, as artists, we have finite amounts of res- uh, energy. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some points where we're like, ah, screw this personal project. You know, I'm done with it. I don't want to see it ever again. Um, but if you're so far away, then you're going to be like, yeah, forget about it. I'll just abandon ship. And near the end of this project, I was so sick of hippos, dude. And so <laughs> sick of hippopura. <laughs> but I knew that It's just a little bit more. When I know that the finishing line is in sight, that gives me that extra bit of motivation to just grind it through, you know? So that's why it's important to plan things out. It doesn't have to be so restrictive and tight, but it's just as a way to, as a map, and just as a compass to make sure to redirect you towards the goal if you're going off course. And almost like a... You know it almost can serve as a motivator too and that's why I put in target standard images where it's like images of the kind of artwork quality that I want to reach at that point I wasn't as confident but it would serve as aspiration for me it's like just hang in there dude you're going to create something like this so just stick it through this will be your reward in the end um um, yeah I'm I think uh, while there are some things that didn't go exactly according to plan i think that without this guide i wouldn't have been able to create a project like hippopura
0: wow that's that's amazing dude i i firstly i really like these analogies and metaphors that you have while describing the journey and just at a more tangible level the quality of artwork that was generated for Hippopora was obviously very very high and that point of reaching the finish line is something that's so important because if you don't actually finish it, all the effort leading up to it ends up becoming a waste because that last 10% or the last 5% is the hardest part of the journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some people might even say starting, but I think sometimes finishing is the issue with a lot of artists. You yeah. know how many times, like, I'm sure you've even seen those memes around on social media. It's like, Oh, me and artists. And and then, Uh, and all the personal work that I never finish. It's like, (laughs) lol. It's like, well, we don't have to be like that as artists, you know. Why can't we actually finish off what we started and actually have that discipline and ability to do that?
0: And I think... uh, Sorry to interrupt you. Um, Yeah, go on. Sometimes it might be the allure of starting something new because that beginning phase of a project is so experimental. So um, it's a point where anything is possible so i guess yeah. as creators we tend to get attracted to that more
1: i think so too man i I agree with you. It's just that untapped potential. Mm -hmm. It's similar to even seeing like a horror. It's like a horror movie, right? Sometimes the thought of like the monster itself is scarier than the monster itself. So I think it's similar to our art too, where it's like, oh, the allure of creating this masterpiece in our mind is more exciting than the reality (laughs) of that depiction. Because reality is often very disappointing. Well, so what I was going to say is that I think, it's just that, ide- of course, ideally, we'd be able to depict what we see in our mind accurately. But I think that's something that we got to just get over. I don't think it's about fully realizing the vision that we have in our mind. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if that's even fully possible. Because I haven't created a single piece where I've said, man, this is exactly how I envisioned it in my mind. This is perfection, you know. I think I, I can't recall... When I've last said that, or if I've ever said that, maybe when I was a kid, you know, (laughs) but most of us tend to not have standards as a kid, but that's, I don't think it should be the goal for us as artists. I think, especially if we want to be commercial artists, it's more about capturing that snapshot of that vision with our current skills. I think our current skills in a way is like a camera. It's like, it may not be the best camera, but it's far better that you can show a client something, you know, even though that image might come out grainy, blurry, or like, yeah, maybe due to our own lack of skills as well, the composition kind of sucks. But the thing is, it doesn't mean that the vision or the thing, the idea that you're capturing will, will die. Or like it, it can never, ever be recaptured at another point. It's just that if you want to get in the industry or if you want to improve, what you really need to do is just take that one snapshot to show others that this is my current skills. This is what you're going to get when you hire me. Or even for yourself, this is my current skills. This is my current limitations. This is what I need to improve. If you never do that and you always just give up before you fully realize that idea within your current skills, then you're never going to improve and you're never going to get hired because who, who's going to be able to hire you if you don't even put your work out there at all. So you've got to kind of like swallow that pill in a sense that it won't be perfect. It'll never be perfect. But, you know, I if you want to be a commercial artist, if you want to improve, you just have to accept that. I think
0: so when you actually completed that project did you end up applying to Riot and if so what was that experience like
1: um, i don't think I, I i don't think i applied directly but i think i did contact a friend uh, who was working at Riot Singapore at the time mm-hmm. and they had an environment concept artist lead position opening and i think it at least got to the point where it's like well, do you have the skills to be able to build a level design, like proper technical level design? I'm like, no. It's like, ah, oh, sorry. Well, you, I think your skills are good enough, but um, what we're looking for requ- uh, requires you to be more technical. I see. So, yeah, that was the first time. Second time I had, you know, uh, a friend of mine to um, bring my portfolio up to one of the – art directors there um and I actually had a chat with one of the recruiters but I think they weren't necess- they didn't necessarily have any openings at that time too so it feels like I'm close but uh, but yeah uh, no cigar just yet
0: this is an interesting point that even though you might have the skill set sometimes the studio itself doesn't require any additional artists so it's not always The fault of the art itself but it can be just bad timing at times
1: yeah that's why Uh, but to me it almost like the finishing the project in itself was the reward Mm -hmm. because hey maybe i didn't get into riot from this project as uh what was my original intention however I think even until now, it's still the project that I'm most proud of. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, one of those projects that I look at and I actually don't really hate. <laughs> and I'm very happy as well with the amount of attention that it's gotten. Um, I think um, yeah, even by now, it's definitely the the piece on ArtStation that has the most likes, um, you know, Well, even though that probably as a metric isn't the best indicator anyways, but, you know, it's something. Uh, But also having one of my favorite 3D artists, uh, Jasmine Habizai Fekri, just model my entire Hippopura uh, bubble room. And man, it was absolutely incredible, dude. Like I was already a fanboy of her work, but for her to actually take my piece and do it for a university project, I was just like squealing like a, f- a fanboy, you know, when she just showed me the works in progress and the f- finished result. And I think even until now, it's still one of the most fulfilling things that has happened in my career so far.
0: That's amazing. That it just shows that even though we put in so much effort into our concept art, when it's taken into 3D and realized at that level, it elevates the art to another level because there is this sort of collaboration that is happening between multiple people and then the final product speaks even louder
1: yeah and the fact that you know it's not even like a it's one thing i guess if you're working in a studio and someone's kind of forced to model your stuff because it's their job but it's another thing when it's like well i don't have to model your piece but i want to because Mm -hmm. i like it so much and the fact that it's also more than just a simple asset rather than, ah, it's just a simple modeling exercise for me. It's like, I'm spending a long time to really bring this concept of yours to life.
0: Hmm.
1: And, ah, man, the results are stunning. I don't know if you've seen it, but even when I look at it now, I'm like, ah, I just get goosebumps, dude. It's just so well done
0: no i haven't seen it yet but um i'd love to check it out and you know add it to the show notes so that everyone can have a look at it as well later on yeah
1: for sure i think she deserves all the love she gets for that piece uh that's why to me it just it almost feels like a childhood dream come true because Mm um you know i wanted to create games from when i was younger and even until now i still want to create worlds for people to get lost in to get immersed in you know And that's why I love world building so much more than just a singular thing, Mm -hmm. a singular environment, or just like just doing characters itself. I want to create a living, breathing world. And this is the closest thing that has happened. The fact that you can walk around in that environment. uh, Yeah, it's just really takes my breath away,
0: dude. At a more professional level, I just wanted to know what have been some of the more challenging aspects, professionally speaking so far, because... In personal work, we have the freedom to take our time and experiment, but then obviously not with professionals. So what's your Mm -hmm. journey been there? Mm,
1: The challenges in a more professional setting then. Mm -hmm. Hmm, There's definitely a lot of different aspects to cover there. But I do think that even communication and even just learning to work within a team has been a challenge because I think I did expect that, well, you know, you just go into a studio, the most important thing is to do good art. But I think over the years, I've really realized that, especially if you want to, you know, get into a higher position, at least for a company like Adam Hawk, that they really value the idea that as someone that is more senior, that you're able to contribute more value and also at the same time, being able, uh, knowing what it means to, I think, be a good lead. Mm-hmm. And I, those aren't things that I was taught in FCD, you know, like what does it actually mean to be a good leader? What does it actually mean to be able to help out your teammates, to be able to inspire them and things like that? And I think when I came in, I, I had this sense of entitlement, I think, just because, you know, I felt like my skills were at a certain level or I felt like, Oh, at this time I deserve a promotion already. Mm -hmm. Um, But in reality, I think I really did lack a lot of those qualities of what it actually means to be someone in a leadership position. And that's something that was a very bitter pill for me to swallow. And I even remember that there was this one appraisal uh, that Adam Hawke holds once every year, where they go over some of the things that you've accomplished, things that uh, you think can be improved, and even things like um, talking things about like pay raise and things like that. But at that point, you know, I remember being so bitter about work, you know, feeling like I wasn't appreciated, feeling like Um, I deserve much better. And a consequence of that was that I actually didn't necessarily pull my own weight during work. I was kind of trying to get away with doing the minimum Mm -hmm. because I felt so bitter about the whole thing. But there was something that was said by one of the art leads there that I think really stuck to me until now. it's just the idea that if you're not picking up your own weight, then someone else has to uh, clean that up after you. And maybe I felt at that point that, oh, if I was behaving in that way, then yeah, I'll show them, you know, in my mind. But some of the people that had to pick up after my Slack were people that I got along with at work, people that, you know, I was closer with, that I was friends with. And the thought that, well, if I'm not doing my task as i'm supposed to then i'm being a burden on them and i actually realized at that moment yeah you know what i don't think that's very right i might not have enjoyed some of the projects maybe that i was working on but it doesn't mean that my teammates deserve to suffer because of me Mm -hmm. Um, and i think since then i've made it and i made an effort to think about more of my team and how to not only just pick up my own weight but how to contribute extra value as well like what can I actually do uh, to fill in some of those needs even before some people have maybe even voiced about it and I had a great opportunity recently I mean I can't name the project just yet but um, it was actually a very challenging project because it was a really big project, lots of moving parts, lots of different assets. And I realized that a lot of people were struggling on it, not necessarily to their fault. Uh, as I said, there's just so many requirements that I realized that, you know what? I, as one of the leads on the project, I can either yeah just do once again, the minimum and just let them figure it out themselves. Or this can be an opportunity for me to actually show to my teammates that, hey, I'm not just here as someone shouting feedback to you, just leaving you to your own devices and whatever your own mistakes it, I'll I'll let you wallow in it. I made that extra effort to create style guides, to create um, documents to actually, digest some of the dense information that was provided by a client to be much more easily understood. Mm -hmm. I took that extra time to even talk to them beyond the meetings that we had to give them demonstrations on how I would approach it. And on top of that as well, even just talking to them as, you know, more than just, you know, once again, a professional relationship, but even just, you know, as friends in the studio, just to check, check up on them, like, hey, are you? How are you doing? Are you still enjoying the project? Things like that. Is there anything I can do for you? Because it, uh, all I have to do is look back to my time when I wasn't a senior yet, and I was someone that was just working under uh, other leads as well. And I realized that there's some things that I personally would have liked to have. Wait. There are some things that I wish could have been done better. So all I had to was just draw upon some of those experiences and became the lead that I wish that I had back then.
0: Well, wow. that, that was a brilliant insight, Jordan. I think this particular segment that you just elaborated upon, people can learn so much from it because it really gives a very intimate mindset approach of what a senior at a studio like item Hawk goes through the low points and the high points and yeah i really appreciate the honesty about your experience there
1: yeah i think once again it's just those things that's not necessarily talked about mm-hmm. and you know hopefully at least sharing all of this is to show that you know i'm not perfect as well and it's not to say that i don't have my moments now where i'm frustrated or that where i might feel like you know Uh, that I don't have my dissatisfaction Um, but I think at the core of it I have to also remind myself too that this is an ideal that I have to hold myself accountable to as well so I'm not saying this as someone that ah I've got it all figured (laughs) out you know I'm the best senior lead that you could possibly have it's more like this is something that I think is a challenge even for me but At the same time, I think this is something that not very many many people might be aware about when it comes to working in a studio. It's not necessarily just about creating pretty pictures, but actually learning to contribute value and knowing what it means to be a team player.
0: Just two follow-up questions within the experience Mm -hmm. at Atomhawk itself. Firstly, Atomhawk is filled with such amazing artists. They are one after another people just doing brilliant work do you ever run into situations or in maybe in the past where you felt like you were comparing your work with your peers at at the studio and if so how did you deal with that oh
1: for sure (laughs) i mean happens a lot you know Mm -hmm. and i think it's difficult not to even if you're not at a studio right just popping open art station you know it's already going to make you feel like damn I'm falling behind or it's like Oh man This guy's so good But I think The advantage though At least with a studio Is that you can Think of it In different ways First of all You can think that Man This guy's so good You know Oh man I'll never be able To catch up You know Or actually Maybe even feel bitter Against the guy And like Feeling like Oh man I have to beat this guy You know I have to get better I'm gonna silently grind You know uh, in uh, After work And until one day I can surpass him. You know, that's one way you can think about it. But another way is that, oh, you know what? This guy's so good. And I'm so lucky that I have him as my teammate. And yeah, this goes back to um, learning how to work in a studio, right? Because if you're on good terms with someone else in the studio and you're friends with them and they're that good, Mm -hmm. well, you have the opportunity to be able to ask that guy for feedback you know at any time that you want and maybe learn something from them as well so look even if you never get as good as them the fact is you can only become better if you humble yourself enough to learn from someone else and every once in a while you know yeah I do take that opportunity to just ask some of my friends like hey how do you do this you know and even sometimes as well just asking them to give me a demo on how they work things and I've learned so much and this is, I think, one of the um, benefits of actually uh, working in a studio rather than freelancing. And I guess to even go back to earlier, the uh, when you actually are in the classroom environment with someone as opposed to just working by yourself at home.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, th- that element of friendly competition, as long as it's maintained in a healthy manner, it can just push everyone in that place quite well yeah for sure dude the second part of the question that i wanted to talk about was in a studio like atomhawk there are so many different styles of projects that are done and in your personal work definitely you have a certain inclination and a certain direction you work Mm -hmm. in do you run into problems or situations where you have to approach projects professionally in a different style
1: oh yeah (laughs) that's definitely been a challenge i think um because Truthfully said, I don't think Adam Hawk right now gets too many stylized projects. And even if they do, it's mostly for characters. And I think it's because that's what's displayed on their portfolio right now. Most of it, if, that's, if it's stylized, it's going to be characters and the rest is mostly more realistic. So we don't get too many um, projects that are more in line with what I want. And I'll admit that's been a frustration, I think, for me. Uh, But it's once again just learning to adjust my expectations and mindset because I could see it as a way that, man, and they never give me projects that I want. You know, it sucks working here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not that to say I've never had those thoughts. (laughs) But at the same time, you could see it as a learning opportunity because some of the projects that I've touched, if you, if you saw it, Sid, you know, you'd probably think that, oh, you did this. It's like, that's completely different from what you did. Like, I've actually done some photorealistic environments with photo bashing and and things like that. It's like things that I would never have in my portfolio pretty much. And even though I wasn't able to necessarily do it as high level as some of the guys that are more experienced at it. I still had the opportunity to learn a lot from it. And I believe that you can learn so much sometimes by doing something that's so vastly different from what you normally do. And I think that's actually what gives me some of the strengths that I have even when it comes to stylized art. Like one of the things I'm very open to and I highly encourage people to do is learn 3D.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, however, when it comes to more stylized artists, they're not as open to learning 3D compared to you know someone like yourself or someone that is more in the photorealistic workflow that used 3D quite heavily. And even the ability for me to learn a bit of photo bashing as well that translated to one of the techniques that I enjoy using a lot, which I call sketch bashing, it's not that the photos are the end result, but they serve more as an initial inspiration to get shapes and interesting silhouettes and things like that. Mm -hmm. And after that, just doing a line work version of that uh, very rough photo bashing. So I feel like even though during those moments, I wasn't too happy being on a project that wasn't necessarily in alignment with my goals, But looking back, some of them really helped me to open up a certain skill tree, so to speak, you know, that unlocked some new abilities for me.
0: And then if you choose to, you can further develop that if you want to at a certain later stage.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like even recently as well, I'm thinking about implementing more 3D in my work again, you know, especially after seeing some people just create like amazing environments in a very short amount of time Mm -hmm. so yeah that's something that uh, I'll be looking into
0: that's awesome yeah that's I think this really gives a very good insight into the good and the bad aspects of working in a studio with multiple uh, different art styles and different projects yeah yeah
1: for sure man
0: another part that I wanted to touch upon was did you face any issues during the visa procedure while, you know, shifting to a new country? And, or are you working from home currently? What what, what was the situation like that? Uh,
1: visa, I think that wasn't too much of an issue. I'll say Adam Hawk has been very good on that front. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's different just because, you know, of the current situation. And then also with Brexit a while back, but at least back then, it seemed like they were just hiring people from all over the world. Like I had a coworker that was from Iran, for example. Mm -hmm. He didn't have a problem with his visa and people from Australia, for example. Uh, So, uh, and uh, before uh, this whole pandemic, we were planning to bring in someone from China as well. But then, you know, um, with the restrictions on travel, that definitely made things a lot more difficult. But no, at, at least with Adam Hawk, it hasn't been an issue. It's more like if you're good enough, you have the skills, we like you enough, we're going to, we're going to be willing enough to pay for your visa to get you over here.
0: That's amazing. This actually leads into the next question that I had as well. When a uh, artist is potentially trying to apply to a studio like Atomhawk, how do mm-hmm. they actually develop their portfolio? Because there is no mm-hmm. one target style to hit.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, But even then, even though they don't have a target style, ultimately you're going to be hired for what you're best at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But funnily enough, I got hired because I think my portfolio is quite diverse at that time. And I think the requirements have shifted a little bit. But my portfolio at that time had some photo bashing you know, some more, some 3D, some stylized. And I was actually in the process of making it more linearized towards stylized at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that there was a job opening and it happened to require people uh, to be very versatile. So okay. I'm like, let's ah, give this a shot. So it was unintentional, so to speak, or at least once again, not so planned to be working at Adam Hawk. Mm-hmm. Um but nowadays, I think they're looking for people that are a little bit more fo- uh, focused on one thing. However, I think with Adam Hawk specifically, they do prefer someone that has the ability to finish an image to a high quality uh, finish. I see. And the reason is that sometimes we do have projects where we create the assets themselves that'll be used directly in-game,
0: okay. you
1: know, or as an illustration for something. So that's one thing. Um, however, another thing that Adam Hawk really does value is your ability to show process in your portfolio. So, showing your ability to come up with rough sketches and then maybe doing color explorations and all of the steps in between to get to a finished result. And why that's so important is because they want to see how you fit in a pipeline. Right. Because if you just show finished result, it's like, oh, this cool and all, but how did you actually get here?
0: Yeah. What's the thinking behind getting to that point?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think it's necessarily exclusively to Adam Hawk. And that's actually an advice I give to a lot of people is that show your ability to fit in a pipeline to the, uh, to the places that you're applying to mm-hmm. so that they will, there'll be no doubt in their mind that, okay, this guy you know, will be able to fit in, uh, no problem, you know, and you actually get an insight into how they arrive to certain solutions. Um, but yeah, so if anyone's thinking about applying to Adam Park, just, you know, really f- focus on what you're good at, but show your design thinking from your roughs and all the steps in between to the final. And I think on top of that as well, you know, I guess this goes without saying, right, but... You know, they want someone that's pretty much not an asshole as well that can. team. True.
0: That's awesome. Uh, In fact, funnily enough, Atomhawk was probably the first or the second studio that I'd given an interview for right out of FZD. It didn't work out, but it's interesting to now hear from you who has been working there for a while just to get a deeper understanding of what their mindset and approach is.
1: Wait, were you in the same batch as Phil Booth?
0: um no i don't think so no. no
1: okay wait which year did you attend fcd
0: so i was there from
1: 2017 to 2018 i see i see okay no i can't recall anyone from that from that year off off the top of my
0: head um okay that'll be hard to <laughs> explain which yeah. particular batch. but anyway yeah um just carrying forward the discussion about your interest in teaching do you I mean how do you exactly plan to go about it is that more like a mentorship kind of a style you want to start with
1: I think at the start yes Mm -hmm. just because it's easier you know I don't need to actually have a building or anything you know that would be for something for future me to worry about Um, but I've actually done some mentorships already I've, I've done a few of it just by personal request and it it's also been one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in my career so far just because you get to have that direct impact you know and you get to beyond just like a normal online class Mm -hmm. I think I get that opportunity to talk to them one-on-one maybe talk to them a little bit more about themselves and yeah some of the Uh, issues that they may be facing even beyond art as well. You know, I'm not talking about their, you know, love life or things like that (laughs) uh, or giving advice on that, you know, how to fix a broken marriage, but it's more about like, uh, for example, um, maybe you're struggling with social anxiety and that, you know, you really want to go to an art meetup that's local to you, but you don't have the courage to do so, Mm -hmm. you know, then that's something that I would even talk with them about as well, because to me, I do believe that, you know, as we touched upon is success as an artist, I think cannot just be about skill itself. There's so many other intangibles that really contribute to that. And I think one of them yeah, is just having that confidence to put yourself out there and beyond just the technical confidence. I want to show that this mindset that you're applying now to your art, this can be transferred to real life as well. Mm this issue that you're having with you know drawing uh, uh painting environments if you learn fundamentals and you follow this you know you're going to be able to get there but at the same time if you want to also get better at doing converse uh, having conversations as well with other people you can approach it in a similar way you you don't start by putting yourself in the most difficult situations possible you don't go out there to you know, an art event and start just talking to everyone. If you even scared to step out of your own house, maybe one of the things that you should start is that if you really have that bad of an anxiety, yeah, just go out there, maybe be in a crowded area. Don't talk to anyone at all, but just get used to maybe the feeling of being around others. Mm -hmm. But then maybe after a while, try and have a random conversation, you know, with someone and eventually get used to the idea that, Oh, okay. You know what? um it's not so bad actually talking to other people and from there on maybe you can push your uh push the challenge a little bit more and i'm talking about this even from personal experience too because i had terrible social anxiety back then and the way i would train myself was by going out in public talking to people on the bus <laughs> people on the cashier you know, i would set it almost like quest objectives for myself you know before i go home i'm going to talk to this this person you know and, oh uh, man, you know, I've had a lot of awkward conversations and I was so nervous, dude. Just even having those, uh, just even thinking about approaching someone back then. But, uh, but yeah, I really do think that any skill in life that you want to learn, just think about whatever you're skillful at and how you got there. And in a way, just follow that same progression. Set yourself a goal, break it down into tangible steps and build your way up from there.
0: Well, that's a, again, I really like the way you put things across. You've got a very, very clear state of mind when you're elaborating on these points. I feel like you have really thought about these things. It's not just off the cuff. You, I feel like you've gone through your own journey of self-development and that's why you're able to explain these points in a very clear manner it's a good way to put that. I overthink things. <laughs> <laughs> but now man, it's been a great conversation. I'm really, really enjoyed learning more about your journey and approach so far, because like I said, I'd only seen your work from the outside, but never spoken to you. So I really appreciate this.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, like I'm, I'm also enjoying this a lot too, but, and I think we're both at least like that, you know, we have this nature about us that is, curious that is inquisitive you know and you feel like there's always something interesting about someone if you just sat down gave them enough time Mm -hmm. you know to just tell their story
0: so just one last question to close off the conversation where Mm -hmm. do you see the next 10 years for yourself as an artist do you even plan that far ahead is that something you think about Uh, i'll admit it's been
1: tough lately i think just because there's been some you know, delays and also uh, I guess you can say, unexpected obstacles mm-hmm. uh, for some of my goals. But ultimately, I still would love to open up a physical school one day. I want to be able to give that same experience that I went through in FCD. but beyond that, improving upon the points that I think, could have been done better and taking what I thought worked really well and helping, uh, yeah, just ultimately to help others to be able to find their own journey, you know, in this crazy journey that we call art, you know. And, but before then, I think I really would like to focus on uh, building more resources as well, and building up my brand name to be someone that people think about when, hey, do you know any good resources on YouTube? Uh, or like, do you know anyone? Oh, I'm trying to get into art. Can you point me to someone that could uh, teach me? And, you know, first thing that comes to mind is like, ah, uh, you know, J. Tough Designs, you know, along the same name uh, as like, you know, Ahmed Alduri or like modern day James, you know, or like, you um, brainstorm you know i want to my name to be or the name jtuff designs to be in that same conversation pretty much so right now i'm working on creating uh, videos for youtube Mm -hmm. and even on my social media now i'm in the process of creating more educational content um and in the nearer future i would like to resume doing mentorships as well It's just that, yeah, I think it's been quite time consuming before, but uh, I don't think I can stay away from that for too long because, yeah, I really enjoyed that.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I'm pretty sure you're going to get to that point, the goal that you set for yourself, because you're definitely somebody who knows how to structure their goals and orient the journey to get to that point in a successful manner. So I'm just really looking forward to what you come up with.
1: Hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. You know, really appreciate you know the opportunity to be on this podcast. I think it's one of the only few times, ta- uh, one of the only times that I've been sitting on the other end of the of <laughs> the other end of the mic. I suppose. Mm-hmm.
0: Nah, it's been great talking to you, and I really hope we can continue staying in touch because I always like to form a deeper relationship whether whenever I have a guest on. So that you know, we can just continuously learn from each other. So, really appreciate your time. Hey, sounds good, dude. Sounds good. I'm always up to have another good
1: conversation. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you for your time, and have a great day ahead.
1: All right, you too, Sid. Take Cheers. care,
0: man. Bye. See you around.